Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast, this time reviewing Mid-South Wrestling Television from July 16th, 1983, taped on July 6th, 1983 at the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. I am the great Brian Last, my pleasure to be with you once again, and joining me as he does each and every week is Mike Mills. Mike, how are you today? Doing great. Looking forward to another fun episode of Mid-South Wrestling, like you said, from July 16th, 1983. We got a couple of things going on here as we lead up to the uh, Superdome show coming up shortly. And yeah, I think we got some good stuff here. We got something happening with Ted DiBiase and Johnny Rich. And I like when things like this happen. And I'll just leave it at that as we tease uh, this week's episode. Well, let's get right to the show open. Boyd Pierce and Cowboy Bill Watts. Television Network. I'm your host for the next 60 minutes. I'm Boyd Pearson. We have a lot of action. You're going to see the return to Mid-South Wrestling this week of Steve Dr. Death Williams. Hacksaw Jim Dugan pairs up with popular Magnum T.A. as they take on Russian Boris Zirkoff and Rip Rogers. The big match, Johnny Rich versus Ted DiBiase. All the top stars are here, and the man that'll tell you about it is our guest commentator, the Oklahoma Stampeder, but now Mr. Racing in Mid-South, and I'll tell you that because he knows more than anybody. That's Cowboy Bill Watts, Bill, and I mean it sincerely. Well, thank you, Boyd. You know, it's great to have Steve Dr. Death Williams back from playing ball with the New Jersey Generals of the USFL. Steve weighs about 300 pounds right now and planning on playing football next year with the Denver Gold. Also, I think another match that's a real sleeper on the card is George Weingroff against Hacksaw Butch Reed. George wrestled at University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and is a tremendous competitor, and we've not seen him lose any bouts here on Mid-South Wrestling on television either. But right now, let's go to Reeser Bowden in the first match. It's in the ring. And we go right to that first match, Mike. It's an interesting tag team match. Arn Anderson and Big Boy Williams versus Joe Stark and the returning Steve Dr. Death Williams with Joel Armstrong as the referee. We're going to play some audio in a moment, but Mike, tell me your thoughts on this match. Well, Dr. Death is still wrestling in the amateur singlet, which I guess you should expect at this point. Um, My notes, Dr. Death, he's still like a, a puppy with big paws right now. He's He's still going too quick. He's not giving the guys time to get up and sell and react. and He's it's not terrible, but I point that out for one thing. I was listening to something recently about Dr. Death, and let's just say, like, the person reviewing this was talking about how Dr. Death, and this is someone who is real close to Dr. Death, was saying, Oh, well, you know, Dr. Death was a natural from the start. You know, I mean, he was just one of these Kurt Angle types, and I'm sorry, but. As much as I like Dr. Death as a wrestler and what he ends up becoming in Mid-South and UWF, he improves drastically over what we've seen in 82 and 83 from him. Um, this uh, this person who was close to Dr. Death uh, went on to say, so evidently those first, those, if you remember those first couple of matches he did in 82, I think we had speculated whether or not those were actually Dr. Death's first matches. Like maybe he had some that weren't televised. Evidently, those were his first matches from what what I'm being told or what I heard. Maybe that's wrong, but that's what I heard. And um, I got to say, man, when you watch Dr. Death in the ring, man, he is far from a natural at this point. And he improves. Don't get me wrong. He gets much, much better. Oh, my God. Remarkably better in just a short period of time. 
but um, he's a puppy with big paws out there. He's just he's Russian. He get the, the, he doesn't give people time to sell. It's just kind of like go this doom 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 doom. Just real real almost too quick. Let the guy sell, man. You're a big dude. You beat on him. Give him some time. And I get it. You know he's coming from an amateur background, so he's doing things quickly. And that's not what you see here, though. It's pro wrestling, so it's a, it's a different ball game. But he doesn't look bad. But he's just young. Again, puppy with big paws. Well, that's what you say. Let's hear what Cowboy Bill Watts has to say. <laughs> Boy, this should be a great match. Uh, like I said, welcome back to Dr. Death. And his season might have been successful for him personally. But the team, like he said, didn't do real well, even though they had Herschel Walker. And they were probably the pick of the franchise at the start of the year with seeming like everything going for him. It just didn't work out. But Dr. Death back to his first love. Wrestling. He was a four-time All-American at the University of Oklahoma in amateur wrestling. He's going to be attending school there next semester, finishing his degree in wrestling with Mid-South, and then he'll go back into football with the Denver Gold in January because the USFL starts their, their pre-camp in January. Big Boy Williams. Uh, this Big Boy Williams is going to meet the real Big Boy Williams when he gets in there and gets to tie up with Steve Dr. Death Williams. He'll see what Big Boy is. Arn Anderson tagging in on Joe Stark. I'm sure these guys, if they're smart, they better get Joe Stark over in their corner and seam at him there because they don't want to let Dr. Death get in there. I guarantee you he's going to be shake, rattle, and roll. Ooh, Arn Anderson. Fine competitor. A new tag combination, Hacksaw Dugan, Magnum TA. Well, there's some audio from Cowboy Bill Watson. To your earlier point, Mike, while Steve Dr. Death Williams wasn't a natural from day one, Arn Anderson sure was. He is so good at everything he does in the ring. And he's a relatively new wrestler still. He's only been wrestling a couple of years. But you watch everything he does, even the selling, he's tremendous here. You can go back to Arn's first matches in Mid-South, which, um, God, I don't even know how long he had been in the business at that point. It hadn't been very long. And even then, he looked like a well-seasoned pro. Like, he would sell. If he did go with an offensive maneuver, he gave his opponent time to sell. Everything was perfect. And I don't want people to be mistaken here. I'm not trying to beat up Dr. Death. I mean, he becomes, uh, what he becomes is something else. I mean, he's tremendous, but it's just right here. And I'll give you an example. Joe Stark tags him in. Big boy Williams starts reeling. He's like, no, 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 don't hit me. Dr. Death doesn't even give him time to sell. He just automatically just hits him, takes him into the corner, and just with no pause, slings him into the other corner. Iris whips him. Dr. Death doesn't even give Big Boy Williams time to sell taking that corner before he's charging in and ramming him with a couple shoulders, and then he's shooting him off again, and he's coming in way too quickly with his shoulder tackle deal that he does. It's, um, he just, everything, he's moving way too quick, and it's like, Get, yeah, even in the finish, he's just not given time to sell. Joe Stark, I'll give you an example. In the another example, in the finish, Joe Stark is in the corner because he just drop kick on. And Dr. Death doesn't even take a second to let Joe Stark move, who just is on the ground, to where he can then sling big boy Williams into the corner. Like Joe Stark is rushing to get out of the way because Dr. Death is moving so fast. It's just, I'm like, man, slow down, but you know, he ends up becoming a great pro. That's not my point here. It's just that, you know, when you ask me how he looks, he wasn't a natural. It took time. It took a lot, you know. And again, granted, here's the thing, Brian. 
he went from wrestling in 82 to football, and now he's back wrestling. So to be fair, he may have debuted in 82, but how much wrestling was he practicing when he's with the generals? You know, like he he's not, he's just, he's playing football. And then you can't expect him to be improving during that time. It's the only time he was going to improve is night in, night out in the ring. You hear those old timers say it all the time. That's how they learned seven days a week, twice on Sunday. That's how they got better. So anyway, that's my thoughts on it. I didn't think it was terrible. It's just that you can tell he's just, he needs time, man. He's just not good at this point. Steve Williams and Joe Stark win after Dr. Death hits the Oklahoma Stampede on Big Boy Williams. And from there, we go to a clip from Dallas, Texas, a handicap match at the Sportatorium, Kamala versus Tom Ernesto Jr. And who is his partner? They didn't actually say his name. That is a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Rathke, who did, um, did some, some jobs in world class. Bill Rathke, R-A-T-H-K-E. I got the last name, but they never said a first name, so I'm glad you clarified that. Kamala destroys both guys, and coming out of that, just a moment at the desk with Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, boy, we saw 300-pound Steve Dr. Death Williams wreck havoc. Now 385-pound Kamala the Giant. And next we got 420-pound King Kong Bundy. You talk about beef. That's beef, and it's stacked high, and it's stacked hard, and it's stacked heavy. And you'll see it all on Mid-South Wrestling when we return after these words. I wanted to play that clip because I think it goes a lot towards the mindset of Bill Watts. Bill Watts liked big wrestlers. He liked big guys having matches against each other. And of course, when houses would go down later in this year, that's when he's informed by Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler that he's missing a key demographic. And he starts to bring in the small guys, the younger guys, the fast-paced guys, and get girls in the seats and get a younger audience. But... I thought this is interesting because of that, because he certainly likes the big guys fighting. And there are a lot of big guys right now in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah, and it was considered a quote-unquote big man's territory. So, And Bill Watts was the biggest man in the territory in his eyes. So, I mean, it makes sense that he keeps plugging this. And it is interesting, and we'll talk about it when we get to those guys that are smaller coming in. Uh, the story is, like Watts said, you're going to sell for these guys, and you're going to make these guys look good. And you find that, and assuming that's a true story, which I believe it is, it's remarkable when you think about it that you could convince a guy like Watts, who I think would take a hard, it's hard to convince him of certain things, in my opinion, for them to convince him that, hey, you know, we got to give the, these little guys a chance so that we can, you know, get this other demographic into the arenas and buildings and build better houses. But Watts certainly has an infatuation or a, oh, infatuation, a, a hardcore belief and the uh, bigger guys in his territory. Well, on that note, let's go to our next match. King Kong Bundy versus Art Cruz, Rick Ferreira, the referee. Let's hear a little bit more from the Cowboy about big men in wrestling. Well, Reese, I just got to, I mean, excuse me, boy, I just got to sit here and these monsters, I'm telling you. You know, when I first got into pro wrestling, I weighed 300 or 295. And the guys in that weight category that could move, you know, they had Haystack Calhoun, he weighed 640 pounds, but his movement was extremely limited. And the only other really huge man was like Gorilla Monsoon. Guys like that, there just weren't that many of them. And now you look at them, and we've just seen three of them already in excess of 300 right here on Mid-South Program, and we've still got more to go. Monday, the Atlantic City Avalanche in the five count. Beats everybody with a five count. Plus, he picked on the American Dream Dusty Rhodes in Houston. 
with taped fists that just turned that right hand he has into just like being hit with a baseball bat. I still would like to see Bundy and Dr. Death in a challenge match. Dr. Death said he went to Atlantic City, New Jersey because he'd heard about Bundy back here running his mouth and claiming to have invented a new hold that's very similar to the Oklahoma Stampede, which certainly didn't originate with King Kong Bundy. And Steve said he didn't find a lot of good publicity. It's certainly nothing to be proud of, nothing to be printed. Let's talk about people being beat up and intimidated and extortion and, and things like that. I guess better left unsaid, but I think you can see Bundy's tactics. They certainly aren't technique. They're just brute strength and meanness. He's just, he's a bully. You know, it's, he just loves to pound people that he can overpower. Look at that, just like getting hit with a freight train. Well, there it is, some commentary about King Kong Bundy. And once again, Steve Dr. Death Williams going to Atlantic City to do some research on who exactly King Kong Bundy is and finding out that he's involved in extortion, amongst other things. What do you think about all this? Watts is digging deep, man. This is crazy. So we have a pro football player that wrestled for the Generals up in New Jersey that Watts is just saying, okay, he's out there. He's walking around the streets of Jersey, I guess, <laughs> interviewing people and finding out that King Kong Bundy was into extortion and all the many crimes that he was a part of. I just, I just Bill Watts just making his stuff. He's got to be making this up as he goes. He's just, I'm telling you, he just was like, oh, wait, Dr. Death's playing for the Generals? Oh, hold on. That's in New Jersey. And by the way, the Generals played nowhere near Atlantic City. I know, but, but I'm, I'm saying, I'm just, people don't have a map back then. I think he's just thinking Northeast <laughs> is what, that's what I, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I, I get that part of it. I just think that's where it was going. Like, I think that's what he was trying to say. Matter of fact, Brian, clarify, how far are they from each other where the Generals played in Atlantic City? Oh, I don't know mileage, but the Generals played in the northern part of the state, and Atlantic City is on the coast in the southern part of the state. Right, but trust me, wrestling fans back then don't have the map out, and nor do they see that. The only thing they know is the New Jersey Generals in Atlantic City, New Jersey. So Jersey is the, is the constant in those things. So I think that's what Watts ran with, and that's what he's going with, which is hilarious when you think about it. So Dr. Death was making trips to Atlantic City when he wasn't playing football, and he was walking around and going here and going there saying, hey, what are you tell me about this Bundy guy? Oh, he's an extortionist? Really? A bully? Beat you up too as a kid? It's just, it's comical at best. And I'm sorry, but the Oklahoma Stampede and the Atlantic City Avalanche, they are very, very similar finishers. So uh, God bless Watts here. It's funny. Don't get me wrong. I'm entertained by it. I, I will say that. This is, but to what you said even last week. So Dr. Death is walking around having conversations with people about Bundy in, in, in New Jersey. That's good. That's real. Just random people. <laughs> a, a hot dog vendor. Hey, do you know Bundy? Hey, he's extorting me for money. Forget Fuji Vice. You got Dr. Death Vice. Ah. Uh... Oh, man. God bless old school wrestling. Well, coming out of that match, we got a pretty fun tag team match. Hacksaw Duggan and Magnum TA versus Rip Rogers and Boris Zerkoff. Alfred Neely is the referee. Let's play some audio from this. It starts off with a bang, or perhaps I should say with a slap. Let's hear this. Tag team, Boris Zerkoff. Oh, man. 
Oh! Rip Rogers went out and slapped Dugan. Didn't slap him once, he slapped him twice. Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Rip oh, Dugan is, he's paint brushing. Wow! Rip Rogers must be nuts. Look at Dugan hip toss him and T.A. took Borzerkov right out. This could be a dynamic new team. And Dugan threw Rip Rogers out of the ring and Dugan is really going. And of course you heard that crowd before he even came in chanting, Dugan, Dugan, Dugan. I mentioned one name, Bill, and I saw him slap Hacksaw and that, that was all of it. I couldn't believe what I, my eyes saw. I couldn't either. Wow, you talk about stirring up a hornet's nest. And you know, Dugan runs around at a low boil anyway. It doesn't take a lot. Look at the agility of Magnum TA. Man, it's quick and sudden. Japanese arm drag in there. Magnum TA wrestled with Old Dominion, an amateur. Wow. Wow, wow. Rip Rogers wanted to make a name for himself. He may make one, all right, but it might be in the obituary column. You know, Dugan has turned a few bars in the parking lots, and I just can't imagine somebody wanting to come up and slap him or start a beef with him. This guy, like I say, you don't have to. Oh, I love it. I love it. You don't have to invite a fight. He stays ready. Magnum T.A., he is just quick out there. And Rogers, Rogers might have gotten, oh, his, his head's ringing. I bet you he thinks it's 12 o'clock the way it's chiming. Well, there we hear some audio from the tag team match, and you can hear the fans are really into it. Rip Rogers just slaps Duggan in the face twice to start off the match while all four wrestlers are standing in the middle of the ring. Tell me your thoughts on all this, Mike. This is a lot of fun. The fans are really into it. So first, before I get to that, I made, uh, well, I'm sorry, you made orgasmic Larry Nelson a uh, cultural icon in the classic wrestling community. And uh, I made orgasmic David <laughs> David Crockett into a bit of a legend of whatnot. Whip him, whip him like a dog. Oh, Tony. Um, <laughs> now we got Watts having orgasmic Bill Watts here. Watts loses it. I mean, Rip, Rip Rogers slaps Duggan, tw not once but twice. And Duggan just, good God, slaps Rogers, and then he continues in the ring slapping him. Like, I'm sorry, in the corner. In the fans, oh, my God, they are loving every minute of this because you can't fake a slap like that. It's That's as real as real gets. You slap, I mean, they, they were paint brushing each other. And Duggan getting him back in the corner after Rip slapped him was tremendous and the crowd is loving it i i can't react to this enough this was this was phenomenal it's like and then and, and, and the part of me is like you know I, I, if we're gonna treat it like it's real i'm like damn rip what the hell were you thinking slapping that man incredible incredible moment and little segment from this match incredible stuff a match was made around a slap. I mean, it's so simple, yet it made the fans get into it, and it would lead into the finish. Hacksaw Duggan pins Rip Rogers after a spear. And from there, we get ready for our next match, scheduled to be Ted DiBiase versus Johnny Rich with Rick Ferreira as the referee. But there are some things happening behind the scenes. Let's go to the audio. We'll talk about it on the other side. 
Vanis for one fall with a 10-minute time limit. In the red corner at 268 pounds from Omaha, Nebraska, Ted DiBiase. And I see that Ted DiBiase's opponent, Johnny Rich, comes to the ring with trousers on and his hand in a bandage. What is this? You know, I was injured in a match a little bit earlier, and uh, I seen the doctor, and uh, he told me that I shouldn't wrestle with it. So uh, I'm going to have a substitute today. DiBiase, you most of all... That's the sorriest excuse I've ever heard. There's nothing wrong with your hand. You're just afraid, Rich. You're just a coward. Just tell these people the truth. You're you're just a coward. I got somebody that'll take care of you, DiBiase. I don't care what you got, Rich. Just get on out of here. You most of all... I I don't even like looking at cowards. Just get on out of here. Well, Johnny Rich says that he has a substitute. We're waiting on that substitute right now. I don't know if this has been approved by... Matchmaker Grizzly Smith or not, but we'll soon find out. Well, Johnny Rich says, he says that he has, here he comes, that substitute is Hacksaw Duggan. Uh-oh, uh-oh, looks like payback time. DiBiase got away with that broken hand till Duggan broke the cast. Duggan's been wanting a showdown with DiBiase right here on TV. It looks like he and Johnny Rich have cooked up a little scheme. You know, when you get to scheming, more than one can play that game. And Dugan's the man that was in the monkey suit at one time, so he's not beyond doing a little scheming. Generally, he's more of a frontal attack, but he shows a new dimension right here. Hacksaw Dugan firing away at the big cheese, the king rat, Ted DiBiase. And DiBiase said, I'm the one that made Dugan, and I can beat him. Well, let's just see if DiBiase can beat him or not. There he went for it, and he missed it. Well, Mike, let me get your thoughts on this. Turnabout is fair play. Ted DiBiase, for weeks, couldn't defend the tag team titles because of the alleged broken hand, his hand in a cast. And now Johnny Rich returns the favor. This is tremendous. I mean, I I love, I, I always love when the baby faces one-up the heels. And it's so good because Johnny Rich comes out, he's claiming he's got a broken hand. We all know. Basically, the baby faces now are pulling a fast one. They're like, okay, they watched DiBiase do this crap for a couple of weeks. We're going to get him back. So Johnny Rich comes out, and he's like, I can't go. You know, my hand's injured, and I can't wrestle. Per the doctor, I can't wrestle. And DiBiase tells Rich, you're a coward. You're afraid. And I just think it's just, it's great because DiBiase's such a hypocrite. He can't take his own medicine. Like any great heel, he cannot take his own medicine. And he's getting a dose of his own medicine here. Duggan comes out because Rich can't compete. And DiBiase getting that dose of his own medicine now is scared to death. And Duggan, when he comes out, he's throwing haymakers. There is no, you know, he ain't taking off of those punches. He's throwing haymakers. I also love Watts right there. Watts mentions that, uh, you know, Rich and Duggan are scheming. Because Watts even says, I don't think it, I mean, Watts is basically saying, I don't think anything's wrong with Johnny Rich's arm or wrist. Ain't nothing wrong. They're just scheming. He even, and he goes on to say, remember what Duggan with the gorilla suit? Scheming isn't below him. <laughs> so, so, I mean, he knows, Watts knows, and Watts knows they're pulling a fast one, but hey, what's he supposed to say at this point? This is where you credit the baby faces for being smart. Like, oh, okay, two can play that game, pal. We can play that game, too, and be within the rules. And that's exactly what they did. And it was great. 
I like that spot right when Duggan came in and DiBiase tries to throw like four punches in a row at him and Duggan blocks him each. Left, right, left, right. And he blocks him each and it looks great. And then he hits him. And the fans are totally into it. They love Jim Duggan. They want to see Ted DiBiase get what he deserves. This is a lot of fun. And of course, more action would transpire. Let's hear how this match concludes. I think they're taking high risks to do it. You know, you get so mostly involved in trying to beat somebody, sometimes it doesn't necessarily make you try to beat him smart. Oftentimes a guy that's cool and calm and doesn't lose his his cool down. Dugan's just down on him street fight style, and that's just back alley brawling right there. And Hacksaw Dugan is really punishing him. He's I, He must be pulling DiBiase's hair right out by the roots, Boyd. Really pulling out all oh, the stop. DiBiase's all stop. face Both really bad. DiBiase really getting popped now. Wow. The fans are on their feet. Watch out, there's Bundy Ford, and he's got, Bundy's got that whole arm taped up. Bundy's got that arm, and he's clubbing Dugan. He threw Rick Ferrar out of the ring. Rick Ferrar is signifying for the disqualification, but that's not going to save Dugan as Bundy, like he did to Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. He's got that whole arm clubbed, and he's just clubbing him. And now DiBiase's up. And it's two on one. DiBiase's holding him. And there's some, but here comes Joe Stark. Joe Stark is in. But DiBiase's popping Stark, and Stark is in. And he's right back out, and they're still. Here comes Johnny Rich. Johnny Rich is clubbing away. But Bundy just, Bundy's 420. Here's Magnum. Bell's ringing. There's a brawl with DiBiase, and they're still putting. The crowd is just this place in pandemonium. There comes, there comes JYD and King Rats trying to meet the dog, but you can't stop the dog with a machine. Bundy and they're getting out of there, but Bundy and DiBiase have certainly counted coup. Yeah, Rick Ferreira Dugan. pointing to us at the ring of the disqualification. Let me tell you, the decision in this match, Boyd Pierce, doesn't mean a thing to Hacksaw Dugan. And the people in there right now, I can tell you that. How do you like your wrestling action, wild and woolly, rough and rugged? You see it all right here on Mid-South Wrestling, and we'll return with more of the same after these words. Well, the fans were chanting for JYD. It took a while, but they finally got him, Mike. They finally got him. And if we can go back for a second, too. So you heard the audio there. Duggan is, you know, rightfully so, he's really angry with DiBiase. He's, DiBiase has has just done him wrong and and we gotta we gotta get at DiBiase at this point. Well Duggan, he's going to town on DiBiase. And the best part about that is you kind of hear it through the audio, but I, I don't know if you get the full effect if you don't if you're not watching these along with us. The fans, they start making the noise and they're trying to warn Duggan that Bundy's coming up down those steps that we've all heard from at this point that, you know, from the Irish Peel where the where the wrestlers were. And they're even put, there's a guy like in the front row, a couple of them, they're pointing, like they're trying to get Duggan's attention. That's how much they love Duggan. They're like, oh my God, Bundy's coming. You know, I mean, they are pointing emphatically. You got to look, you got to look. But Duggan, because he's so enraged and so angry and he's just bludgeoning DiBiase at this point, he doesn't look. So he doesn't look up. Anyway, as you would imagine, Bundy ends up getting the better of Duggan right there because he snuck him from behind. And like you said, they're chanting JYD, JYD, JYD. Joe Stark comes out, Magnum eventually comes out, Johnny Rich comes out. Eventually, we finally get JYD to help clear the ring and help Duggan out. But Duggan's seeing stars because he was beat down 
by Bundy and DiBiase right there. Really, really, really good finish. No clarification, nothing settled. So this thing keeps going. Uh, a lot of heat built up there. But overall, good stuff. And Brian, did you catch the fans? I'm sure you did. When they were pointing, like they were trying, like those people were like trying their damnedest to get Duggan's attention to warn him, which I thought was phenomenal. It was almost at a point where it was impossible for Duggan to be able to ignore them, even though that's what he was supposed to do there. So he doesn't know there's someone behind him, but they were all pointing and standing up and right in his face. He was right in front of them, but he had to, and he did a good job of making it so that he wouldn't notice that because he was so caught up in pounding DiBiase. And if I can make one, bring one other point out, you and Jimmy were talking on either a recent drive through or experience about the God dang freaking music hitting when somebody was coming out. You remember that discussion, Brian? I'm, I'm sure you do. It's a stupid question, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So this is a textbook example why we don't need the freaking music to hit to warn me when another guy's coming out. Like the fans essentially were the entrance music. Like they reacted not with music. They reacted oh, an entire building of folks. And then look, the Irish McNeil is small. This isn't 20,000, 15,000, 10,000 people in a building. This is a small, intimate setting. I mean, you got a couple hundred, but my point is the fans reacted and went nuts behind this. And you didn't need entrance music as Bundy made his way down the steps and towards the ring, which I think is a testament to everything you and Jimmy would have talked about on that episode where it's like, we didn't need the, we didn't need the entrance music. And I know y'all went for a while on it, but you didn't need it. Why would you want to warn the guy? Why would, if the entrance music hits, all of a sudden is Duggan is bludgeoning DiBiase. He can now go, oh, well, let me turn around. So why would the heel want his music to hit? He doesn't because he wants it to be a surprise. It's bad enough. The fans are going to cheer and try to get the wrestler's attention. Why do I want to bring the attention to the wrestler when my music hits? So I just thought, I thought the fans trying to warn him was excellent. And it goes to show you why we always say back in the day, we didn't want the music to hit when somebody was hitting the ring. Why? There you go. There's a perfect example. It's a great example there. From there, we get our next match. This one goes on for a while, surprisingly competitive. Hacksaw Butch Reed versus George Weingroff, Joel Armstrong as the referee. Let's hear some audio from Cowboy Bill Watts as him and Boyd talk about Weingroff being legally blind. Reed, who told us a few weeks ago he's taking things in his own hand and becoming his own man against George Weingroff, who is almost officially totally blind, Bill, and... Because of his athletic prowess and his amateur wrestling ability from the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, he can mix it with the best, and right now he's in there against the best in Hacksaw Butch Reed. Well, he is legally blind. That's, that's the definition, Boyd. And, of course, uh, a lot of blind athletes went to blind schools, and they even have blind wrestling. But in the blind wrestling, you have to maintain contact at all times with your opponent. But George didn't do this. Uh, he can see vaguely out of one eye, and he went to University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, which turns out some top-notch wrestling teams. Charlie Hurd was there. We saw him in this last year's NCAA in Oklahoma City. And uh, George Weingroff is a, is a really tough competitor, a lot of heart, a lot of courage. Uh, as, as a lot of fans know, Leroy McGurk won two NCAA titles at Oklahoma A&M then, of course, Oklahoma State and Stillwater. And he was blind in one eye. He'd lost one eye in a childhood accident, then he became the world's junior heavyweight champion. And he held that title until he lost his other eye in a car wreck. So uh, there's another moment of courage. And, 
and uh, George Weingarten following that lead is against a tough, tough guy, Butch Reed, who was an All-American football star and played for the Kansas City Chiefs and linebackers, also on his team, college team powerlifting team. And so this is, a, to me, is a sleeper match. This is one of those matches with a lot of intrigue that Grizzly Smith has given us. I think it was a sleeper in the mind of Hacksaw Butch Reed, too, Bill. Well, there you hear it, Mike. Talking about George Weingroff being legally blind, or Boyd Pierce put it in a weird way, he is officially, totally, almost blind, or whatever he said there. Bill Watts talking about wrestling programs for blind people. They're putting George Weingroff over, putting over his actual wrestling ability despite his handicap. And as I said to you before, this match is surprisingly competitive. It goes for like 10 minutes, which you don't see a lot of matches do on Mid-South Wrestling. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I watch. Uh, he's brought Weingroff up a couple of times with his issues and his blindness, and which I thought was good. You know, what I mean, you're building him up. I mean, it's not like they ever really do anything major with him, but the point being, you know, I guess, I guess they want to look at it as a guy who, who kind of, I guess, had a had a handicap of sorts, and and hey, you know, I, to me, I take it as now that I rewatch it, maybe they were just saying, hey, look, don't let anything ever stop you. I mean. I, that's Watts' message to the kids out there. Don't let ever, don't let anything ever stop you from trying to dream and do the things that, you know, you can do with your life. I don't know. And I, I didn't think about it like that back then. But now as I rewatch it, maybe that was part of it. Maybe that was the, the, the message that Watts is trying to get across. And I agree with you. Man, 10 minutes of a one-hour program, which ends up being just at about 43 minutes or so, uh, minus commercials and local promos. If you think about that, 10 minutes, I mean, you're almost at 25% of, of a program when you take out commercials and local promos. So they gave them a lot of time, and it was very much a very competitive match, especially, and I don't want to spoil things for anyone, but it's going to be that way, especially when you consider what's about to happen with Butch Reed. This is a very competitive match for someone like George Weingroff. Very competitive. I, I, and I can't stress that enough, given what Butch Reed is about to attain in Mid-South. I know you apologize for spoiling things, but you really just played spoiler big time here in this show. I apologize to the well, listeners. He's going to defeat Hacksaw Jim Duggan, which technically makes him the number one contender for the uh, North American title at that point. How does that sound, Brian Last? I apologize to the listeners for the for the just <laughs> cruel and unjust behavior on the part of Mike Mills, not caring about your feelings or emotions this week. <laughs> well, it's a Brian. You've got to admit, let me hold on. I get serious. I don't mean to cut you off. My apologies, but I'm gonna do it anyway. So sit. No, seriously though. It's very like, I say this often. It's challenging sometimes when you watch these and you know what's coming because the first thing I thought of when you, when you, when we're talking about, wow, 10 minute match between these two is, is what's, what's coming up. It's like, man, Weingroff went 10 minutes with Butch Reed right here. And that means that makes what we see here even that much more memorable in a way than or impactful in a way than it would have been if that doesn't happen. Does that make sense, Mr. Last? It makes sense. You have a point. <laughs> However, I still would like to apologize to the listeners profusely for the bad decision making on part of Mike Mills. I don't know what he's thinking. It's like he hasn't had his coffee yet so far today. I don't know. But Butch Reed wins with a tackle. And from there, we get a couple of matches to wrap up this week's show. Tim Horner versus Doug Vines with Alfred Neely as the referee. Tim Horner wins with the Luthez Press 
That's all I have in my notes. Any notes from you, Mike? The only other thing I have is Watts mentions Mr. Wrestling 2 coming up in the next match and how 2 always gives it his all. I don't know uh, why he brought that up, but he did. And like you, I had the note about Tim Horner winning the match with a Thez press and then the pin. And then we get the final match on this week's episode. Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Tony Zane. Rick Ferreira, the referee. Wrestling 2 wins with his million-dollar knee lift. Once again, that's all I have in my notes. Do you have anything else about this match, Mike? There's nothing to talk about. Two wins. It's relatively, you know, it's a nothing happening match versus Tony Zane. I mean, you're not going to see anything. And yeah, two nail Zane with the million dollar knee lift and pin Zane with ease. And with that, with ease, we wrap up another episode of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter, at SuperPodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast, 605pod.com, or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? Well, you would think I'd have this spoiler alert thing down by now after... For almost four years of Smoky Mountain Wrestling and five years of BTT and Clever and Classic Wrestling, but I obviously don't at this point, so my apologies to everyone out there. No, I, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to uh, to this show. And if you want more uh, from myself and Hardbody Hopper and Doc Turner, come check us out on Booking the Territory. We're down to once per week as we cover the NWA Saturday night shows on TBS. We're into March of 89 now. We've covered a bunch of Clash of Champions, some pay-per-views at this point, and uh, it's a fun time. We're the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. The jokes are terrible. It's not always politically correct, but we have a great time. You can find us at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. We have a fun time. We love covering classic wrestling uh, when things are not on the up and up, and what I mean by that is you always hear those old-timers go, it was airtight, brother. No, everything was not always airtight. There are lots of holes and lots of booking, even in the 80s, and we like to joke about them and point them out. At the same time, reliving and enjoying as we rewatch some old-school classic wrestling. So check us out there. Just search Book in the Territory wherever you get your podcast from, or go to tinyurl.com slash bttpod. You can get all of our shows there, the NWA shows, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling shows, and whatnot. And then give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. I'd appreciate it. I'll sometimes tweet about football and classic wrestling, of course. Of course, the Mid-South Show, because that's what Brian and I do here. That's all I got, Brian, until next week where, um, yeah, I guess I'll uh, try to remain spoiler-free, but maybe I won't. Who knows? We'll see. Stay tuned. Well, we'll see what happens next week. But until then, the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Your producer is Chase Nakarado. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Tally-ho!